Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. I'm your host, Phil Black. And if you have an 8th, 9th, or 10th grader with big aspirations, like the Ivy League or military service academies like West Point, ROTC, or athletic scholarships, boom, you've come to the right place. My specialty, my superpower, if you will, is preparing families for these competitive programs. I'll teach you what your child should do, when they should do it, and how you can help. So stick around and prepare to out-prepare. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the PrepWell podcast. By this weekend, most of the senior class, the class of 2022, will have found out where they got admitted, denied, and waitlisted. And as exciting as that sounds, for most students and their families, this can be a bittersweet moment, especially in today's environment. Emotions are running hot from exhilaration to frustration to jealousy to surprise and heartache and everything in between. So I thought I'd take a few moments to share my thoughts on how a student and a student's parents might assess the results. This has been a long time coming for most people. Most of you have invested a lot of time and money and energy on your applications, and I'd like to provide some perspective now that the verdicts are in. Yes, there are some students who wrap things up early in the process because one, they applied early decision, which is binding, and they got in, or two, they applied early action, which is not binding, and got in, and they decided to go to those schools. So those guys are already spoken for, hopefully for the better. Well, what about everybody else who is waiting for the regular decision round? Well, everybody else was either accepted or denied or waitlisted. And I'd like to go through each of these scenarios and share some thoughts about the good, the bad, and the ugly. The first thing I would do, however, before I got too excited or too bent out of shape, is have a very honest conversation with myself. And I would ask myself the following question. How strong a candidate was I, really? How much time and effort did I put into high school and extracurriculars and rigorous classes and my prep well videos and applications and essays and supplemental essays and teacher relationships and college research and creating a balanced list and thinking about my major preference? Did I give it everything I had? If the answer is yes, then you should be proud of what you accomplished, no matter the outcome because you did your best. And that's all anyone can ask of themselves, or of someone else for that matter. That's what we're striving for. Now, it doesn't mean that you'll be happy with the outcomes, necessarily, but you know you left nothing on the table. This is part of life. Even if you got denied from your favorite schools, which were match schools, you should still be proud of your effort. Because these days, that's not all that uncommon depending on how many schools you apply to. Your measuring stick for being happy or disappointed with the results should be dictated by how hard you worked versus the absolute results. I know that's easier to say than it is to live through, but over the long haul, this is a true statement. I'd rather personally hire a person who was rejected from college A and came back bigger and badder than ever with a chip on their shoulder and something to prove, then someone who somehow snuck into college A 
and doesn't have the talent or the mindset to succeed in life. I'd take the former every time. So if you played full out and gave it your best shot, you've already won the game. If, on the other hand, you have a little voice inside your head saying things like, you know, to be honest, I really didn't give this process my all, my full commitment. I never built strong relationships with my teachers who I asked for letters of recommendation. I didn't listen to the five-minute weekly prep well videos because I was too busy. I dropped out of robotics after freshman year. I decided against running for class president because it sounded like too much work. I waited until the last minute to start my essays. I never got around to fully studying for the SAT. If this is what your internal dialogue sounds like, then you should treat the outcomes differently. That's the hard reality. And if this is the case, and you're self-aware enough and humble enough and realistic enough to absorb some of the responsibility for the outcomes and resist blaming everybody else and the system, maybe this will be the wake-up call that you needed. Maybe all that stuff that your parents and I talked about for years actually did matter. Now, you shouldn't dwell on this and have a big pity party. Instead, you should take this as a cautionary tale about how much work it takes to be successful in whatever you do and how early you have to start. And hopefully you'll incorporate some of this knowledge into the next big challenge in your life. Consider this a big life lesson learned. And by the way, you are the only one who truly knows whether you gave it your all or half your all or a tiny sliver of your all. That's a you issue. Your parents might have an idea or an inkling about how much you were or weren't doing behind the scenes, but only you know the full truth. And you'll have to live with that knowledge, and that can be a positive or a negative. So how do we deal with the admissions results? Well, during the regular admissions round versus the early round, there are typically three outcomes, accepted, denied, and waitlisted. Let's start with the good stuff. You were accepted. Acceptances are easy. You got in. You feel great about it. You feel validated. It gives you options. You can tell your friends and families about it. You sleep better at night. The whole nine yards. Congratulations. If you were admitted into one of these super reach schools or these lottery schools, then you should be jumping up and down and freaking out, especially this year, because there are plenty of people just like you who didn't get into that school. So someone must have been smiling down on you. And even with acceptances to match schools and safety schools, you still get a warm feeling from them. And hopefully among those schools you're admitted to, there are a few schools that you like, that you love, and that you can afford, importantly. And you'll be off to the races. If you have several to choose from and you're having a hard time deciding, it would be great if you could revisit those campuses, if you visited them before, refresh your memory about those schools and the programs that they have to offer. Because most colleges these days are pretty expensive, and every little bit of due diligence will be worth it. What about those that were waitlisted? Being waitlisted means that your name gets put on a list, a waitlist, and that list will only be reconsidered if a spot opens up. Why or when would a spot open up? Spots typically open up 
when the admissions office misjudges the number of students who will accept their offer of admissions, and they're left with open seats. And for a number of reasons, schools have to fill those empty seats, so they go to the wait list to find people who are still waiting around and willing to attend. Unfortunately, this doesn't happen that often. So being waitlisted probably makes you feel better than it should, only because in most cases, you're not going to get off that list. Obviously, some people do, but not always. It depends on the school. But these days, the craziness of the admissions process has left schools with no choice but to blow out their wait lists. Why is that the case? Well, in order to manage their enrollments, they have to keep a lot of people waiting in the wings while they wait to see who will accept their offers. It wasn't like this in the past because students didn't apply to so many colleges. It was easier to predict through modeling what a school's yield would be, meaning how many students would accept the offer if given one. For example, if a school's yield was 70%, that means that if they offered admissions to 1,000 students, about 70%, about 700 students, would take them up on it. These models don't work anymore. Students are applying to so many colleges because it's so unpredictable who will get in where that the historical yield numbers don't really apply anymore. If that same school admitted 1,000 students, they might only get 200 to say yes instead of 700. And then they're stuck. They're way under-enrolled. So to fix this, they warehouse thousands and thousands oftentimes of students, and they wait to see where the chips fall. If they hit their yield estimate, no one gets off the wait list. They shut it down. If they fall short and they're under-enrolled, then they open up the wait list gate until they fill their seats. So even though it might feel better to be waitlisted than outright denied, they may not be that far apart. So I caution you not to get your hopes up too much. And there are databases that give you a rough historical look at how many people were accepted off the waiting list. But by now, I wouldn't really trust them. I think those numbers are pretty stale. I hate to say it, but I would be under the working assumption that you will not get off the list. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't submit a letter of continued interest, which you should if you're still interested in the school, but I would just not harbor any unrealistic hopes that you'll get in. If you do, just consider it a bonus. But you've got to proceed as if the wait list will not get activated. You've got to move on and deposit money elsewhere, just to be sure that you're not left with no options. And lastly, what about the denials? Okay, this is obviously the one that stings the most. Even though we know how tough the odds are, and it's happening to all your peers, and you're not the only one, it sometimes can still feel personal. So how do you process these rejections? Let's start off with assessing how realistic certain schools were to begin with. If it was unrealistic, let's say it was a lottery school, then a denial really shouldn't come as a surprise, especially in the regular round. Harvard's acceptance rate may even drop below 3% this year. There's not a lot of fluff in there. So if it was not realistic to begin with, I would try not to dwell on it too much. What if it was realistic? 
What if it was a match school and you still didn't get in? I know it's tempting to take this one personally because, after all, you seem to be the perfect fit at the school. You're not underqualified. You're not overqualified. You're right down the middle. It's a Goldilocks school for you. Just right. Right in the sweet spot. This is a tough pill to swallow. What you have to appreciate is that this outcome is not personal. And small tweaks to your application probably would not have changed the outcome. Taking that one extra AP course in sophomore year, getting a 1530 instead of a 1520 on the SAT, sticking with theater for that extra year, not dropping Spanish after junior year. These are not big difference makers in the big scheme of things. It's a numbers game. There are simply too many other similarly qualified students applying to too many of the same schools. And there's ample blame to go around for why this is happening. I'm not going to get into that in this episode. Unfortunately, that's just the way they are these days. And in the last scenario, what if you were obnoxiously overqualified and you still didn't get in? This one is particularly annoying, especially when you hear about friends getting in that were way below your qualifications. How could that be? Well, there are a number of reasons why this may be the case. I can devote an entire episode to this phenomenon alone. Here are a few possibilities. Possibility number one, despite your great credentials, you didn't spend a lot of time on the application and the reader sensed that and assumed that you weren't overly interested in the school and would probably go to a more selective school. So they decided not to waste their time. Possibility number two, Maybe that other seemingly less qualified applicant or friend of yours had something going on for them that you didn't know about. This happens all the time. We don't all have perfect information. Possibility number three, maybe it was just the luck of the draw. Maybe both of you were in the same pool of students to choose from, but they chose the other person. Or possibility number four, typically at the bigger schools, they don't have the manpower to read every application and every essay in detail, so they had to use some other automated system to make cuts, and you ended up on the wrong side of the algorithm. The point is, you never know. In colleges with selective admissions, there are very few guaranteed quote-unquote safety schools these days, so try not to get too wrapped around the axle about someone else who got in who you think you're more qualified than. It may be the case, but none of us will ever know the full context behind each and every decision. So where does that leave us? Well, I'd like to close with a pledge that I ask students to take prior to getting their admissions results. And I hope it puts them in the right mindset as they open each email. And it goes like this. Dear self, as I await to hear back from colleges, I want to make something perfectly clear. The college I attend does not define me. It is simply a vehicle to help me discover who I am and what I want out of life. If I get rejected from my dream college, good. This just adds fuel to the fire. There are plenty of other great options out there for me. College will not determine my success in life. I will. In fact, I dare that overpriced dream school to reject me. I welcome it. For I will create my own destiny, no matter where I go or what I do. My future is in my hands, period. 
End of story. Awaiting the good news, signed self. So to all of you seniors out there, prep wellers and non-prep wellers alike, I wish you the best of luck with your admissions outcomes. For those of you who know that you put out as hard as you possibly could during this process for years, your mind should be calm. You did your best. And the lessons and the habits that you learned along the way will be the things that dictate your success, not the name on the sweatshirt. For those of you who took the easy road and didn't quite give it your all and assumed everything would be just fine, maybe you were right. Or maybe you're looking around and wondering what you've gotten yourself into. Either way, consider this a life lesson. And the next time you have the opportunity to prepare well and put your best foot forward, do it. There are no losers when you prepare well and do your best. That's all I've got for you today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the continued support. If you know a parent with a 6th, 7th, 8th grader, 9th grader, 10th grader, 11th grader, in this episode, 12th grader in high school, that might find this helpful, please share the episode with them. You can do that by finding a small box with a tiny arrow pointing up. That's the share button. Click that button. Text it to your friends. Give them a little note recommending that they give it a listen. Of course, if you have questions, comments, or an idea for an upcoming episode, please reach out to me by email, DM me on Instagram, check out our blog, Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. Prepwell Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to prepwellacademy.com and enroll your child today.